Easter is a perfect setup for the, the new series that we're going to be starting tonight. We're calling it Uprising, and it's all about coming up out of something that would try to keep us down. But because of Easter, because of the cross and his resurrection, we have the opportunity to come up out of our old lives and step into the new life that God has in store for each of us. And nothing, not even death, hell, and the grave could keep him down. And because that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us as well, then no principality or power can keep us from stepping into this new life of freedom that God is offering to us. And so uprising, uprising, what types of things do we deal with? That's what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks and tonight. Uh, what types of things try to keep us down? And so tonight, uh, I'm going to do something that I've not done before. I wonder what that's like on the live stream. But I'm going to preach with some chains on. And I got to say, I went to Lowe's earlier today, and I got on, like, the heavy chain, and I decided against that. <laughs> this is still somewhat heavy. But I thought, if I'm going to be preaching up there for, like, 30 minutes, I don't know that I want to be wearing, like, the, the heavy, heavy stuff. So I went with this one tonight. But... We're talking about things that keep us down, and something that absolutely tries to keep all of us down is the shame and the guilt of our past. The shame and the guilt of our past. Before we, let, before we get into this message, let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for this night. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. God, I pray that I would do it effectively. God, do it with clarity. God, I pray that you would bring your anointing on this word. God, I pray that it would be so specific to the people that are here tonight that they would just receive it with open hearts. God, that it would really minister to where they're at. God, I pray that you would remove me from this entire thing. God, let me just be a vessel poured out for you, God, to bring you glory. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off tonight by looking at three verses that uh, you may or may not know. Uh, and the first verse is this. Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. The next one, very similar to this, is in the book of Micah, chapter 7. And looking at verse 19, it says, He shall again have compassion on us, he will subdue and tread underfoot our wickedness, destroying sin's power. I love that. I love this next part. Yes, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And one last verse, Hebrews 8, 12. This is God talking, and he says, For I will be merciful and gracious toward their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. And again, for some, maybe you've never heard these verses before, but it's pretty clear what the, the truth of these messages is trying to convey. And here's what it is. is that when God forgives our sins, he completely forgives our sins. And when God forgives our sins, he remembers them no more. But for, for those of us who maybe we know these verses and we know these truths, I would say, having been a Christian for a large part of my life, ever since I was just a little boy, that it still creates a tension. 
and it still begs a question. I would say most of us at times, we still find ourselves asking, and here's that question. If we know that God has completely forgiven our sins, why do we still feel guilty or ashamed? If we know that God has completely forgiven our sins, why do we still feel guilty or ashamed? I've been forgiven. I've been set free, but I still feel like I'm carrying around these same old heavy chains of guilt and shame like I always have. And tonight, to find the answer to why we feel this way, I think we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, where God created the heavens and the earth, and he called it good. And don't worry, we've got baptism, so I can't go through the whole Bible, but I'm just starting in Genesis with you, okay? So he called it good, and in Genesis 1.27, he created mankind in his own image, both male and female, and again, he called his creation good. And I want to point out here, I, you don't have that verse on the screen tonight, but I want to point out that when he, when he created male and female, and he called it good, that also includes that, that relationship that he had with his creation. That was also good. It wasn't just like, well, look what, look what's good over there, like the physical part of that, but this is good. Like we have something really special here, this awesome relationship. And so I'm a visual person. So to get us started, I want to kind of give you just a little bit of what this might look like to me. It's just two circles on the screen. You have God and you have us. And really all I'm trying to show here is that God and man were in close relationship. And then in Genesis 2, verse 25, we see Adam and Eve are there in the garden. And it says that the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. And I'm not going to get on to that part about being naked and, and not ashamed, but it will come up later uh, towards the end of the message. So just tuck that one back away. Don't think on it too much. It just get weird. So, so they felt no shame. So again, this was all a part of the description of this perfect place where God was in perfect relationship with his creation. Mankind was very close to God, and they walked in close fellowship and communion with him. And of that place, they had no shame. But then what happened? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they ate the fruit of the tree that he had told them not to. In verse 7 and 8, it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. And here come the chains, right? This is the fall. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So just in a matter, I know the, the time span is probably much greater, but just in a matter of about seven or eight verses, they went from feeling no shame to feeling shame. And the thing that happened in between was not good. It was the fall. It was when, when man made this decision and man's sin interrupted that relationship and discord interrupted that perfect, harmonious relationship with the Father. So they went from this, where the two circles are close together, right? They went from that, there they are in the garden, to this, where the circles are very far apart. And again, what happened in between? The Hebrew word for sin is kata, and it's defined as to fail, to miss the mark, 
or to miss the goal. And if we're missing some mark, that leads us to understand that there must be some sort of standard. There must be some sort of mark that was missed. And it's not some diminished or watered down standard that the world would try to set for us. But for us as Christians, that standard is God and his word. He is our true standard. He is perfect in all of his ways. And so when we have sin, iniquity, transgressions in our lives, we're missing the mark and we're missing the standard of God's way. That's what it means when we sin. We fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says it like this, but your iniquities have made what? A separation between you and your God. And this is, this is important for the rest of this message. So um, go ahead and go to the, that next slide. I would say that the distance, or sorry, I would say that the guilt or the shame we feel is the distance between us and the standard. The guilt or the shame that we feel is the distance between us and the standard. That's going to set us up for the entire rest of the message tonight. So we know what shame is, and we know biblically its origins of why it exists, because there was this, this fall of man. But then, now here's the question. Let's get really practical tonight. It does exist, right? I mean, we've, we've all encountered and all have dealt with, and probably a lot of us continue to deal with, shame. So if it does exist, what is our appropriate response? And first, I'm going to point out what often happens, especially in our culture today. And this will give us some clarity of things that we shouldn't respond with. So I want to be very clear. Some of these first few things I'm not advocating for, I'm advocating against. These are common responses, but they are not good responses, okay? And so the first unhealthy response is this is that we completely remove ourselves from the standard. We completely remove ourselves from the standard. And so if we decide that we don't want to feel shame anymore for the things that we've done, we just choose to not believe in God. We just choose to not believe in his standard. And so what we do, and especially what we do wrong, is now seemingly of what? No consequence whatsoever. There's no penalty because I've just removed myself from any standard. And that is God and it is his word. And ultimately, we know that this is a completely wrong and an unhealthy response and an unhealthy way of thinking. And ultimately, this is just atheism or agnosticism. And the problem is, is we do see this happening over and over again, time and time again in our culture today. I think the stats were 20 years ago that, you know, 60 some odd percent of people would say that, that religion and, um, and things of God were important to them. And now today they say it's about 38% of, of people would say that religion or the things of God are important to them. And just in a matter of 20 years, think about how quickly that has fallen. And I would say that a big part of that is because people don't want a standard. People don't want to submit to some higher power. Some people don't want to submit to that standard in their lives. And so they completely just remove themselves from that standard. The second unhealthy response is that we can just decide to stay where we are. And shame is really powerful. And oftentimes, shame is the thing that keeps us in our chains. It keeps us imprisoned to our past. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled with people and it's like, man, they, they acknowledge the things that they've done wrong. And they acknowledge that God has, has done the work to forgive them of their sins. But 
the thing that I would say holds them kept bound to their habits and hangups would be the chains of their shame because they just can't get over that. Maybe they know they're forgiven, but they can't forgive themselves. Maybe that's a good way to say that. And so we feel like we're not worthy, like we're not worthy of God's love, of God's acceptance. We're not worthy of God's purposes or plans for our life. So we feel weighed down. We feel tainted. We feel damaged beyond repair. And we honestly, it's like we don't even know where to begin because, man, how, how in the world am I going to break these chains? How is that going to happen? So we don't even know where to start with that, so we just feel stuck. And like Adam and Eve, we just sort of hide away from God, and we sort of hide away from others. We get out of relationship with, with our father that was intended to be there. We, we just kind of hide away like Adam and Eve did, and we get stuck in this sin. We build up these layers, and we build up these walls, and it's, it's for us to try to hide ourselves so that nobody can really know who we are, what we've done, or maybe even what's been done to us. But all this does is it keeps us in our chains. And honestly, it allows the enemy the easy win. And all it does is it allows the devil to control us with our guilt and our shame. It's like this is our leash. And the devil, like, we don't want to have a leash, right? And so this is what the devil's holding as our leash is like, I've got this shame hold on you. And like, as long as I have this, I've got you right where I want you. And that's if we just prefer to stay right where we are. The third unhealthy response is that we try to lower the standard or degrade God and his word. And we try to create our own new standard. We try to create our own new standard to make it more attainable to us. And because we feel like we're not missing the mark as much, that might ha- might somehow cause us to naively feel less shame. But obviously trying to fit God into our own terms and his word into our own terms is not the way that this works. God is the standard, and as much as we think we can diminish him and water him down, we cannot. Luke 18 verse 19 tells us, no one is good but one, and that is God. That's a powerful verse. No one is good but one, and that is God. So if he alone is good, then he alone is our standard. We cannot somehow lower God or degrade him and his word. The fourth response, we're getting better here. Maybe it's a little bit better option, is we upgrade self. And this is a good option because at least it means we acknowledge that there is a standard. So I see that this exists, I acknowledge it, I acknowledge God, and I'm going to try to make myself better. But this response also has several dangers and drawbacks. First off, it can lead us to always trying to prove that we're good enough. And we've all been there. We've, we've tried to make ourselves uh, believe this. We've tried to make others believe this. And then that leads to all of the focus is on who? It's on me. I'm trying to elevate. I'm trying to upgrade myself. It's all the focus is on me. Then that leads to perfectionism. And we just have to do everything like our way. We have to, we have to hit the mark now. And so it's all on us. And no matter how hard we try, what's, what's going to happen? At times, we're going to miss that standard. We're just going to come up short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. 
until finally this leads to us becoming even more critical of ourselves and then us feeling even more shame because of our critical attitude towards ourselves than we even did to begin with. Right? So we knew that there was a standard. We tried to, we tried to help elevate ourselves to where that, that distance is shorter. That distance is not as great now. I feel a little bit better about myself, but then it just downward spiral. And now I'm more critical than I've ever been. We try to upgrade ourself. The fifth response is we upgrade ourself by moving towards God and following his ways. And this, of course, is now the better option. Psalm 25 verse 3 says, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And then in Psalm 32 verse 5, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my wickedness. Think back again to Adam and Eve that they hid because they were ashamed. They were hiding in the garden. I did not hide my wickedness. I said, I will confess all my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave what? The guilt, which is translated as the weight of my sin. We know God forgives sin, but in this verse it says, you forgave the guilt of my sin. And between those two verses, I would say that that's a pretty good recipe for making an upgrade. And so look, look at these verses. And if, if you're like, I don't know, like, what to do. I don't know, like, where to even begin. I just feel stuck. This is the recipe that's going to be good for you to make that upgrade. Number one, you put your hope in God. Two, acknowledge your sin. Three, don't hide your wickedness or pretend to be something that you're not. Don't try to elevate yourself into something you're not. And four, confess all your sins or transgressions to the Lord. If we will do these two things, I mean, you've got like the Roman road. I could go down all these different options of, of how to work a person from a place of, uh, of not being free to a place of being free in Christ. But these two verses would be a pretty decent recipe for that. And I want to add something here that I think is really helpful. And, and it's not something that we hear in the church a lot today. But if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you're saved, and you're forgiven, understand that you are now more aware of God's standard than you've ever been. And so what can happen, and it's very likely that it will happen, is you will feel worse about your sins compared to when you weren't a believer. Because now you have what? You have a new nature. God has done a completely different thing in your life, and he has completely changed who you are. You have been redeemed. You have been made new. You have different values. And the spirit of God has taken up residence in your heart. And so what happens? The sensitivity to sin that you have and the awareness of the standard that you have is heightened more now than it's ever been in your whole life. Think about the Apostle Paul. He said that he was chief among sinners. When did he say that? This was after his conversion. This was after God had done a work in his life. And I would say this, and I mean, we could debate it, I guess. I don't think anybody needs to do that. I don't think you'd want to do this. But I would say that as Paul continued to mature in Christ and in his ways, it's more probable that he was sinning less and yet probably feeling worse about his sin. Would you guys, does that make sense? I mean, as he matured in Christ, he was more likely sinning less, 
but he was probably feeling worse about his sin. And it's the same thing in our lives. As we mature in Christ, we hopefully are going to be sinning less in Jesus' name, right? But our awareness of God now, it's, it's continuing to grow, and we're going to, we're going to feel worse about the things that we're doing. Think about if you were on a vacation. We've, we've taken uh, several trips with the young adult ministry here to Colorado. And, and when we get to Denver, you can kind of see the mountains off in the distance. And it's very clear. Those are some big mountains. But I mean, you're in Denver. You're not even scratching the surface of what those are going to look like the closer you get. So you drive another hour, hour and 30 minutes or whatever, getting into the resort area of the ski resorts. And those mountains, the closer you get to them, the bigger they are going to look. And so it's the same way with God. The closer we get to him, the more we realize how big he is and how small we are. And we realize how perfect that standard is and how how inadequate or deficient we are. And that's completely okay. I'm not trying to say that God wants us to just exist in shame. But it's pretty natural for us, the closer we get to God, to say, wow, I, I really do fall short of glory of God. It, it's not just at, at salvation when we say, all have fallen short. It's, it's now in my life. You know, 35 years into this, as, as a Christian, I go, wow, I fall so short in comparison to the greatness and to the perfection and to the purity of who God is. And that is okay. The closer we get to God, the more we'll want to obey his commands, the more that we'll love righteousness, and the more we will hate sin. It will make us sick when we see sin happening, when we experience sin in our own lives. I, I pray that for you guys. If, if there's something that has still got a grip on you, I pray that the closer you get to God, it'll just be like, oh man, I, I feel so, I feel so broken for my sin. And I would say that the heart of a godly person will always be broken over their sin. But here now is the good news. The more broken we are over our sin, that just means that the more aware and cognizant we can be of his grace. And in spite of the wretchedness that we may feel, in spite of the weight that we may feel from these chains, our best response is to just more fully embrace his grace. We give ourselves an upgrade when we move towards God and follow his ways. And here's the best news. This is response number six. So you've got this on the screen. We allow Jesus to cover the distance of our shame and cover us through the cross and by his blood. He died on a cross so that we might be forgiven of the sin and shame that makes us feel separated from God. And let me tell you guys tonight, Jesus died for your ugliest days. Jesus died for your hardest days, the most difficult of days, the, the most sinful of days. Because I think, man, when we, when we contemplate the cross, we're grateful. I mean, it's just, you just can't look at an image of that or just to, to read scripture about that and just not be grateful for what he's done. But it's not maybe often that we take our worst and say, okay, what about this, Lord? 
What about whenever I contrast this sin? What about when I contrast this area of my life? But Jesus died for your ugliest days so that he could make you his, so that he could make you beautiful, so that he, so that he could make you brand new and to give you a completely changed identity in him. So no matter what you've done, Whatever it is that would cause you to feel unworthy or disqualified, Jesus covered it. Your shame story, all of it was eradicated at the cross. And when Jesus died for your sins, don't ever forget that he died to cover your shame too. It's not just your sin, it's also your shame. He literally took it on. He carried the weight. When, when we talk about iniquity, it's, 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 a, it's a weight. It's a burden. It's something that's so heavy. And he, as this humble, willing servant, laid down his life. When he did that, he said, give all of that to me. Give your sins, give your heaviness, the things that just are, are too much for you to bear. Give all of that to me. And again, that included our shame. And so think about this. Again, he took it by hanging naked on a cross. And I, I mentioned that I would go back to this. When Adam and Eve noticed that they first felt shame, they were naked. And so Jesus, we don't, we don't like to even consider this, but a lot of times they say he hung naked on a cross. We give him the dignity of covering him with a little loincloth on all the crucifixes or different things that we see in the images and the movies. And that's like, probably good. It's probably more respectful to our Savior. But ultimately, the way to do it back in Roman times was to humiliate them at the lowest end. Like, Roman citizens couldn't be crucified because it was too much humiliation. Only lesser people could be crucified. So when Jesus stepped down from the glories of heaven, when he emptied himself of his divine attributes, I mean, he really stepped down, like down, down, like into the, the, the lowest places because only the lowest of the low could be crucified. So he covered our shame with what he did on the cross. Even though he was completely without sin, he took our sin, our pain, our humiliation. He took our shame and he said, give me those heavy chains when he was on the cross. You see here, this is really interesting. Our view of shame today, it's, it's, it's different then even like like here in the Western culture compared to the Eastern culture, shame and honor in the Eastern culture is very, very, very different. It's, it's, it's just handled a lot differently. And back in Bible times, it was also very different. It wasn't just an inward feeling or emotion. When we feel shame, it's like, ooh, like inside here, right? Or right here. But for the Hebrews, shame couldn't be hidden. You carried it or you wore it. Uh, Tamar, the daughter of King David, asked this question. She said, where will I carry my shame? And she would, you know, pour ashes over her head and, and she would dress in sackcloth because there was this shame that was happening in her life because of something that had been done to her. And it was like these chains. It was an actual physical burden that she would be forced to carry. In the book of Job, Job said that his shame and his anguish was so intense that it was as if his flesh was clothed with maggots. You talk about a description. I mean, that's a verse that I've not really paid a whole lot of attention to. 
But his shame was so heavy and intense, it was as if, as if his flesh was clothed with maggots. Imagine that, just somebody walking around and just covered with maggots. And when the uh, Psalm 89, King David said, you have wrapped shame around him. And so when the Bible refers to shame, they carried it or they wore it. It represented a tarnished, repre- uh, tarnished reputation and the consequences were visible to those around them. And so when Jesus took on the cross, how did he do it? I've always kind of been like, well, God, if you spoke creation into existence, why couldn't you just speak salvation into existence? But it had to do with our shame because shame was a public thing. Shame was a heavy thing. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he did it on the cross. He did it in a very public and a very visible way. And by doing so, he very effectively took on all our shame. He carried it. He wore it. Jesus covers the distance of our shame, and he covers us through the cross and by his blood. And now there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're about to baptize here in just a little bit 20 people that have made the decision to give their lives to Christ. But I want you to think for a minute, just if I were to get baptized tonight. And so, you know, I don't want to get baptized in this so thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for washing me and making me new. Yeah. God, I just thank you. I'm so grateful for what you've done for me, and I'm going to receive you into my heart. And God, I want to show others the, the work that you've done in me. So I'm going to be baptized tonight. And I go down, and I'm going to be paying for that sit-up later. I'll be breathing heavy. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm back. We're good now, right? So I get up, and I just put my chains right back on. And that's what we do if we acknowledge that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, but not for the covering of our shame. Why would we do that? We can't go three months later, and and you can't call me and say, hey, Pastor Joel, I need to go meet you at the church, and I'm like, what's what's going on? And you're like, I need to get back in that water. I got some old sins that I need to go back and get those out. Well, first off, it doesn't work that way. I don't want to do that. That's a terrible idea, so we're, you know, it's not going to happen. You can't do that. In the same way, We can't go back and get our old heavy chains of guilt and shame because our sins don't exist anymore. He remembers them no more, and our chains don't exist anymore. And so the devil will try to lie and tell you that they do, and he will just he'll just say, like, you've got to carry these. They're a part of you now. It's a part of your identity now because, remember, you're broken. Remember, you're tainted. Remember, you're damaged. And he will try to lie to you and tell you that. But Jesus carried our sins and our shame, and he wore them, and he eradicated them at the cross. And so for those who make the decision to follow Christ tonight, for those who are getting baptized, remember that Jesus is saying to you tonight, give me those heavy chains and come up out of your old life. Embrace my grace and step into the new life 
that I am offering to you today. Give me those heavy chains. And to end this service tonight, we're going to be able to see an actual uprising as people are baptized in water. And they're showing that they've chosen to lay aside their old lives to rise up out of the water and into their new life. And so those being baptized tonight, I want to go ahead and dismiss you, dismiss you. Those that are helping with baptisms, you can go ahead and start getting into place. And worship team, you can come as we get ready to close. As they're getting into place, I want to close, close with just a few final verses and a few final thoughts. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those witnesses will be witnessing the baptisms and celebrating the baptisms tonight, but let us strip off every unnecessary weight. And before tonight, I think a lot of people, if I would have asked, what does that mean? Let us strip off every unnecessary weight. I think a lot of people would have said that that weight is sin. But let's keep reading. Strip off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. It's the, these heavy chains. that It was kind of annoying up here preaching, I'm not going to lie. I, I was kind of holding one of the chains with my arm. It was entangling me. And so strip off those chains. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. This ties back to what we read earlier in Psalm 32, that he forgives the weight of our sin. There is a weightiness to our sin, but there's also a weight to our shame. And let's now look at verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for, for the joy set before him. And what is the joy talking about? I'm going to say that that's you. You're the joy that he went to the cross for. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And be very careful what it says there. Scorning its shame. He wasn't scorning us. He wasn't like, I can't believe you. I can't believe you missed the mark. I can't believe you were so wretched. I can't believe you were so messed up and dirty that I had to do this. In fact, Jesus hates shame as much as we do. He endured the cross and what it meant for our salvation, but he also scorned its shame because he was like, I don't want you to have to carry that either. So why are you? Don't let shame hold you down. He carried it. He wore it, all of it, past, present, and future. And one last verse for those of us still in the room. Psalm 34, four through six, it says this. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Mm, I want to be radiant in God. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, the guy that used to wear the chains, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. We are all, or we've all been the poor man this verse is talking about. But all we have to do is call out to him and he hears us. He saves us. And because of this, our faces never have to be covered with shame. Amen. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for this night. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that these verses would just be like seeds planted, God, that we would learn the the message that you're trying to communicate to each one of us, God. For for some, they've they've maybe never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, and they have just been walking around so heavy because they haven't found any freedom. But God, you are freedom because of what you've done for us. Through Jesus on the cross, we thank you. There are those in this room that they've been saved maybe for a long time, but man, something has been like this leash on them. Something has been heavy on them, and it's because they've never understood that Jesus died both for sin and shame. I pray that tonight they would have a new revelation in you and a new freedom that they've never felt before. In Jesus' name.